Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Our first two seasons are dedicated to Ted Lasso. Join us as we unpack the leadership lessons in each episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. This is season two, episode 12 of Pop on Leadership. We are talking about the last episode in season two of Ted Lasso, which is called Inverting the Pyramid of Success. Okay, what's going on here is that there's a big game. It's the final game of the season where it will be decided if the Richmond team gets promoted into the Premier League or stays in this lower league. So it's a bit, there's a lot on the line. What we know coming out of the last episode and what's discussed in this episode is that Nate went to the Independent and leaked that Ted actually did not have food poisoning, but that he ran out because of a panic attack. So now everybody is talking about this. It's in every newspaper. People are texting Ted about it. Um, You can tell that people are not very kind to mental health and mental illness. Um, But he's very exposed. So that's a big theme through this. Um, We see the evolution of Jamie come full circle. He's he's fully evolved. Well, maybe not fully evolved. No one's ever fully evolved. But there's a moment there that we see as well. He's evolving, for sure. He is evolving. And so is his relationship with Roy. Um, and then also in this episode, Keely gets a really great offer, right? She, um, all this, all these wonderful things happening in her career, you know, doing the, the PR and marketing for the football club, and then also getting that banter uh, relationship and the VC that backs banter, that app that's featured um, in season two, wants Keely to open up her own PR agency and they're going to, they're going to financially back it. So this is a big thing. So this is what we sort of the backdrop of this. Um, Where would you like to start, Kara? I think that we need to start. So first of all, that Ted and his panic attacks are coming full circle because now it's not a secret anymore. Everybody knows about it. And it, and, and it's symbolic of the fact that Ted has tried to keep all of his issues. He's tried to hide all of his issues and press everything down. And now that he, now everything's out in the open. And so I, one of, one of the most beautiful parts of the season is when he goes and he talks to his team. And I'm just going to read what he says. He says, me choosing not to be forthright was a bad choice. Every choice is a chance. And I did not give myself the chance to build further trust with us. It's our choices that show us who we truly are more than our abilities. I hope you can forgive me. Oh, Mm -hmm. it was just such a good moment. And what I think about with that is that, first of all, trust is such a it is such an important part of building cultures. It's such an important part of your leadership practice, but it's also very, very fragile. So everything that you do is either building trust or it's depreciating it, right? And so I think that Ted just shows a good model of this, of saying, like, I recognize that I did something that's going to take trust away and that can affect the ecosystem of this team. 
And just, and I think it's an, it's an important lesson because it's okay. If you make mistakes, it's okay to go and apologize and be like, I, I made a mistake. I'm not perfect. Leadership is a practice, something that you do every day, but I'm going to try to do be better like the next day. And I, I don't know. I just think that we can all, you know, just take, just take a nod from that because I think sometimes when people make mistakes, they go into that fixed mindset of, well, oh, that just means I'm a bad leader. So I'm just not a good leader anymore just because they made one mistake, right? But if you can change it into, I'm going to make them, but if I just rectify it, it'll be fine. Tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. It makes me also think about that, you know, Nate's motivation here was to embarrass Mm -hmm. Ted to expose him and have people start questioning his abilities as a coach and his credibility. Um, we know we, we get a sense of why Nate did that, but it was interesting to me that Ted, especially when he first got that text from Trent Krim, Mm -hmm. it, it, it probably was like, Oh no, like it, it was beyond, it, I don't want to say it was embarrassment, but you feel very exposed. It was betrayal. Betrayal is such a- It was, betra- it was betrayal. It was betrayal. And you're very exposed. And then he had the opportunity to either blow it off or say it's not a big deal or deny it or get really lost in that sense of embarrassment. And he didn't. And I think that was really big. That's also a big shift for Ted. Yeah, definitely. He talked about it. Yeah, he talked about it. And I think in the real life, it it happens so often when you have big things going. I mean, most people are struggling with some type of anxiety disorder, and sometimes it can move into panic. And it, it can, we're getting better as a society being able to openly talk about it without shame. But the more that if, if you talk about it, even just a little bit with the people that are around you, it's going to make it so that it's not so taboo and they can talk about it as well. So without even knowing it, he probably like he, he helped the team by saying like, I'm imperfect. I get panic attacks. This is something that happens to human beings. It, it opens the lines of communication. So maybe his, the, the guys that are on this team won't suffer with it whenever they're, you know, whenever, it, whatever mental thing comes along for them. Yeah. That part really broke my heart where he's, people are coming up to him on the street. Oh, totally. And just being like, if my father had a panic attack, you know, during Normandy, we'd all be speaking German, you know, like basically making him seem that he's not tough. He's not man enough. The sport, you know, the pundits that start out, you know, talking about it, it's like, oh, he's not fit. Um, It made me sad because we, we, there are taboos around these things. It's really hard to talk about mental health and well-being. It's in in the workplace. And I'm I'm part of these conversations with clients and people roll their eyes and they're Mm. like, oh, okay, let's just give everyone a mental health day. And like, I hope, I know that we're moving in a direction where people talk about it more. And I know Gen Z gets trashed all the time for talking about it so openly, but I think it's good. I, 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 I hate the idea of people living with some sort of shame or trying to hide it 
When to your point, so many of us, because of how the world is set up, because of things like social media, because of this constant hustle and grind culture, many of us struggle with anxiety and or depression. And numbing, numbing behaviors too, right? Yeah. It's like, I don't want to, I, it's, it's easier to drink away your problems than it is to sit with them. So we're, you know, like it's, it's literally everywhere. Yeah. And workaholism is another form of that. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Where you just sort of distract yourself, you know? Yeah. No, anyway, that made me, I don't want to get too depressing, but. I know. I was, ugh, it was so gross. It made me really sad. It made me, it it made me sad seeing how folks were reacting to Ted, not just because I felt bad for Ted, but I was like, oh yeah, this is how people talk in the real world. And you know, I, so I'm from Texas, right? So Texas is it's its own little, its own little country. And I don't mean to stereotype everybody that's there, but there is a lot of this like machismo attitude that's there. And what I would see a lot of times, especially when I was younger, is that my friends would be in relationships with these guys. And because mental health was so stigmatized, probably by their fathers, that these guys would be in huge bouts of depression. They'd be like, oh, my boyfriend can't stop drinking and he's like sleeping all the time and like he won't talk to anybody. Like it would be all the time. And I'd be like, this could be so easily fixed if people just talk to somebody, right? Like if there wasn't such a stigma around it, because I, it, I don't know. It's just, I, I just, I, I just wish that it didn't have such a stigma so that people could take care of themselves so that they, you know, they can get out of those places. That's my hope. Imagine a world where <laughs> the notion of being born and having a pediatrician, you know, you seek out a pediatrician right away and then you find a dentist. These things are normalized. I, I hope for the day that it's really normalized that then you start talking to someone just like yeah. everyone. Therapy is included. It's just part <laughs> of core care. Totally. Yeah. Yes. God. They're, yes. Be wonderful. All right. All right. So our boy, Ted, people are being shitty to him and we hate that, but he goes and he, and he, you know, of course he, he's awesome. And he goes and approaches it with the team. And we'll talk here in a little bit about the confrontation he has with Nate, which I actually think is really beautiful. Um, Nate, it's, I, I know they're trying to create a villain and I'm getting caught up in this character, but I just, he, yeah, that, that what he did there was just completely inexcusable. He's really sad. I mean, this is actually probably where the moment in the season, like episode 11 and 12, is where I really, as he, I go from being so annoyed to finally <laughs> having a little sympathy for him, because it's like, he is so sad inside. I know. He's grasping at anything that he thinks will make him feel better. He is so scared to fail. He's so scared to seem weak that he puts on this like fake persona you can see him even when he's being a dick you can see him conflicted Mm -hmm. it's like you say hurt people hurt people like he's such a hurt little baby puppy and it's just it's just sad but he's just a path of destruction yeah um Let's talk a little bit about Keely to sort of turn this around and get us happy. Yeah, let's get happy. Keely and Higgins, what a crew. 
<laughs> what a dynamic duo all day. <laughs> so cute. So Keely, um, Keely gets this news and um, doesn't know who to talk to um, because she doesn't want to hurt Rebecca's feelings by saying that she's going to leave. Um, and so she runs to Higgins office to, to talk to him about it. And he says, I'm so flattered. You came to me to ask for advice and not Ted or Roy. And she's like, well, they're at practice. <laughs> and he's like, or Rebecca. She's like, well, that's the person I'm avoiding. And he's like, well, I'm just glad to be on the list. <laughs> so great. But Higgins is so wise. So, so wise. Right. And he, he has that lovely thing that he says to her about, you know, how mentors, really great mentors want you to grow and be better. Right. And so to not be afraid of that conversation with Rebecca, because if Rebecca truly respects her talents, and we know she does, even as sad as she might be, she's going to be so proud and, and is, has been hoping for this in some way. Yeah, totally. And we know from the conversation she has with Rebecca, which is so cute, they're crying, but they're happy for each other. And that's the truth, right? Like if you have someone who's truly in your corner, they're not going to want to hold you back. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to hear from you because I think mentorship is such an important part of career and leadership and progress. Um, what are your, like who have been your great mentors in your life? I've been asked this question before. <laughs> And I struggle to answer that. Mm. Um, and that's okay, by the way. That's interesting if you've never experienced great mentorship, because I don't think you're alone in that. I've had great managers. Yeah. I've had bad managers. I've had great managers. I, I, I've had peers that I could say, like, can point to and say they've been really great peer mentors. Like, I, I consider you one of those. Well, same. Oh. Um, we're so cute. We're so cute. But when we think of sort of this somewhat traditional mental model of a mentor, someone more senior, more further along in their career, who is somewhat taking you under their wing and or sharing their lessons right? Mm -hmm. I honestly don't think I've ever had that. Really? And uh, that's so interesting. I hope, I mean, if so someone out there is now offended, be like, I thought I was your mentor. <laughs> I take credit for all of your success, Virginia. Thanks a lot. Um, I, I, I don't hope to offend anyone. I mean, I've had great advisors. I've had people coach me. I've had great managers. I've had occasionally some really wonderful advocates. But I can't name a mentor. Wow. And I think, again, this goes back to the fact that I, my career in corporate America was with like, like the nicest companies, right? Like they just, I, and I, I know you've had some really great companies too, but it's been more like competitive, a little bit more cutthroat. 
And my, and neither of the companies I worked with were like that. They were just like these really beautiful nurturing cultures. So like it was weird that especially my last company, if you were like a human in that company, you had a mentor. Like I mean, we would set people up. Like it was just like a part of the culture is that you came in the door. If you wanted a mentor, we would give you one. Like everyone was developing everybody. It was it was a strange little work paradise that we all lived in. But. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no. And I think one of um, I I am so glad you say that, because I think what happens, especially when I work with clients, um, there's this assumption that somehow the onus will be on me to find a mentor Mm. or when they create these mentorship programs and they assign you someone the onus is still on me to reach out and schedule and Mm. ask for your time. And that power dynamic Mm -mm. doesn't always work because you feel like you're bugging someone. Yeah. And, and and it's, and that's, again, it's just like another one of these things that is, that is targeted for extroverts to be successful. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that for an introvert to be able to go do that, especially if somebody's at a higher power, that is their worst nightmare. Like, why would anyone think that that would be successful? If you are the person that has more seniority, it's incumbent upon you to, to make that person feel comfortable and reach out to them and let them know you're there for them. That's crazy that anyone would ever think that it would be successful the other way around. So these men, no surprise, these mentorship programs don't work. The mentees do not feel mentored. The mentors are like, are like, yeah, it seems like everyone's doing great. Like no one's reached out. And I'm like, what? And the fact that like, you would not take the initiative as the person with more power, more knowledge, more seniority, more tenure, more access to information is crazy to me. Yeah, that's... Again, I've just got such a blind spot on these weird things that other companies would do. Um, Yeah. I will say, too, another thing that we would do at my last company is that we would train everyone that that work becoming mentors. And I think that that's really important, too. So I spent a lot. I mean, I'm still kind of a coach, even though I only take on very select coaching clients because... I just, I'm, I like, I'm much better with a group of people than I am one-on-one in my own opinion. Um, but, but, but I, but I studied coaching for a long time. And so what I find is that a lot of people confuse mentoring and coaching and, mm-hmm. and then also just telling people what to do. So we would have really explicit classes where we said like, these are the hats you wear. That's like something I always use mm-hmm. to describe it, where it's like, if you have mm-hmm. a coaching hat on, you are facilitating a conversation that someone needs to have with themselves. You are there to withhold judgment and to ask questions, to paraphrase, to do these coaching practices. That's what coaching is. And it gets confused because people always think about it like with sports coaching that like, oh, if to Mm -hmm. shoot that basketball, you need to do this and this better. And mentorship should be a lot of coaching, but you're also sharing your experiences. And yeah, so and, and it's just it's just a different hat from from coaching. So we would take people through like, these are the levels of listening. This is how you ask good questions. This is how you be present with somebody. And I think that that's really important when organizations are trying to start up mentoring is that they understand that that just like leadership, this is not an innate set of skills that people know how to do. And a lot of times they're not doing it correctly. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I usually describe it as wearing multiple hats or switching those hats and, and what is expected of you. Very similarly, um, I had done this project with an organization where um, the the role of the manager was very ambiguous. And um, the let's say like the the, per, the direct report would want different things. So sometimes it would want to be told, just tell me the answer. Stop trying. Like, I mm-hmm. just need a little bit of direction. Other times it'd be like, don't tell me what to do. Like, help me unpack this internally. So I, I have a lot of empathy for managers who have a business responsibility in addition to these people responsibilities and whether they know it or not are being expected to wear multiple hats. Yes. To be the manager, to be the mentor, to be the coach, to be the advocate. And and like the reality is like you're it would be great if you wear one of those one of those hats well. Exactly. You know? And we're wondering why middle managers are burning out left and right right now. Like it's Yeah. Like you expect them to have, you expect them to wear 19 different hats. You don't tell them what the hats are. You don't tell them how to use the hats. And then you reprimand them if they don't have the right hat on. And by the way, you give them no autonomy to actually decide what hat they're going to put on at the same time. Right. It's like, come on, y'all. We're not going to have any more. We're not going to have any people, anyone that want. And the, actually the, the studies are showing that the numbers are going very down of people that want to go into leadership roles. Right. So like that downward trend is just going to continue if we don't figure this out. What's really interesting, there's a trend in um, these big tech companies, like I know it's not called Facebook anymore, Meta or, you know, and, and, and I think Google does this too, but essentially there's two paths. They recognize this, that people were um, moving up and leading teams because they were really good at the thing, whether it was like engineering or marketing and they were really good at pushing that forward. And then there's this whole other skill set of people management and developing them and coaching them and supporting their careers, etc. And so what what a lot of these big tech companies have done is they've split up these career paths. So you essentially can move up the ranks as an individual contributor, but advancing based on your tenure and your achievements in the function you are in, or you can move up the ranks in leading more and more senior teams. They allow you for the most part to bounce back and forth. So if you're like, you know what, I I, I actually want to try my hand at the people leading it from a people management, not just, you know, functional management, they'll let you move back and forth to try it on. But they've split it out because they no longer like they, they saw how challenging it was to be both at the same time. Interesting. I don't I don't I haven't really formed an opinion on that because I haven't really talked to that many people about it. Um, but I do think it's interesting. I think it's it's pointing to this challenge and opportunity that we are we are asking people to wear too many hats. Yeah. And so therefore, none of the hats get worn well. And is it? <sighs> Is it a technical solution to an adaptive problem? Because yeah. yeah, can you can you manage a project without caring about the people? Can you do it well? Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, I don't know what my opinion. We did a little bit of that too, right? Like in my last role or in my last company, we would have, you know, the people leader tracks. 
And then you would have like the technical track so you can move into like a principal role. That I think, it, again, I think it, I'm with you. Like, I don't know how I feel about it because I don't want people who, are, who don't like people, right? Like sometimes I'll see people get promoted into leadership and they're like, I hate people, but I just want to make more money. And I'm like, ah! But mm-hmm. so I, it might solve for that. But I, yeah, I, and, and, and I have talked to people before who have been in those situations and then they just feel like they have two managers and then the employee starts getting confused. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where I stand on it either. Yeah, me neither. Because I don't know if the the motivation to split up those paths was completely altruistic. Was it like, oh, no, our top engineers are distracted by like, I don't know, doing performance reviews or something like that, Mm -hmm. or all these one on ones, like we need to pull them out, you know, and maybe stop making them do performance reviews. And then you'll have all this time (laughs) for people to actually do their job. And the other thing too, is that like, if you're a leader, you shouldn't have more than eight people on your team. So it wasn't a way that somebody was trying to say, well, we could have more coverage without, you know, paying these expensive leadership roles at the same time too. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, it's just something that I've noticed is happening more and more. All right. So let's talk about, um, I want to talk a little bit about Nate's conversation with Ted. Because at, at this point, everyone knows that it was Nate that leaked it. Um, also going on right prior, prior to this game, this big game, when they even show up at practice, uh nate has this play that he wants to run called the false nine ted comes into work knowing that nate (laughs) leaked the story and is trying to be as kind as possible right and he's like you know what let's give uh nate's nate's false nine a try let's do it let's let's run that i think that's a good idea and what's really interesting about this is that we've seen Nate won when he had that, like that, that, that he took control and he, mm-hmm. and, and he won that game and he got all the press and the, and the glory and he was being tweeted, et cetera. He was a hashtag. And then we've got this thing again with the false nine. And he was really worried for some reason that Ted was going to take his idea. What we see here is Nate go back and forth from like, well, you'd be a fool not to try it. And then when it's not working, be like, oh, Ted, of course, is going to pin it all on me if it doesn't work. It's it's like I, I this is where I realize. Nate, I know you want to be the boss, but being the boss means owning your decision, whether it works or doesn't. And so he wants his cake and eat it, too. He wants to be the boss because of prestige. But he doesn't want the responsibility of having to own like. Own, like he, he only wants it to be his idea when it works. <laughs> yep. And which made me realize like you, I don't think you really understand the level of, of, of weight and responsibility that the leader actually has. Totally. I, I totally forgot about this scene. And I, I actually, I put this scene out there um, a long time ago whenever I first watched this, but there's just also this really great scene where they're in the locker room and, and Nate is pinning all of the problems, all the players. He's like, well, they just can't figure it out, blah, blah, blah. And, and so Ted gets the diamond dogs together and he's like, okay, what do you think we should do? And then Roy's like, 
why don't we go ask the people that are out there fucking playing the game? And everyone's like, yeah. oh, all right, that actually is a good idea. And it's such an OD moment. It's like, yes, go ask the people that are doing the work. And then the team ends up motivating themselves and making the decision and committing to it themselves. And that's why it actually works is because the power shifts from people at the top telling them into them actually believing in it and doing it. Or yeah, and and it, yes, and you you reminded me that when it wasn't working, you know, again he couldn't take any real ownership. It was the players' fault. Mm -hmm. um, so that's tough. It's like you want this prestige without the actual ownership of of what comes with the role. Okay, so there's that. Um, when the, I think it's halftime, and they're in the locker room, or maybe before, I forget. I think it's halftime. But Nate's really upset. He hangs back and he starts crying a little bit. And Ted's like, okay, lay it on me. What did I do? I know you're mad as hell. I want to know why. And, and he's, and Ted says the best thing oh, here. The best. Like, what do I have to, what do I have to learn here? Let me just pause this for a second. Anyone who's listening that is a leader, if you're in a tough situation with the people on your team, ask that question. What do I have to learn here? It is the most low ego, curious question you could possibly ask. It was perfect. Keep going. Yeah, it was great. And Nate responds, you made me feel like I was the most important person in the whole world. And then you abandoned me. And it was like switched like a light. And then Nate goes on. He's like, I worked my ass off to get your attention back to make you like me again. And basically, the more I tried, it seemed like the less you cared. And, and, and Nate told him like that he felt invisible, right? Mm. But here's the kicker. This is why I think like Nate feels so sad. He's like, everyone loves you. Mm. The great Ted Lasso, right? And here we know Nate does not feel loved. But instead of saying, how do I get people to like me? Nate doesn't say that. He's like, you're the great Ted Lasso. Everyone likes you. He's like, but I think you're a joke. <laughs> right? Because he basically tells Ted, you don't deserve to be here. I deserve to be here because I worked hard and I earned this. This just got dropped in your lap. And so I don't, you know, he doesn't understand why he's so beloved. Because he didn't put in the work. Which again... We know it's because Nate doesn't see what Ted is doing as valuable. He doesn't understand. It's like people calling hard skills versus soft skills inside of the workplace and not recognizing that soft skills are actually the hard work and that hard skills are the easiest thing to learn. Yeah. And so there's a reference in this, the, the, the show itself, the episode is called the inverted pyramid of success. Um, Ted up in his office has this printed out pyramid of success, which was made famous by UCLA coach John Wooden, who, who coached the UCLA men's basketball team for many years, and they won many championships. And basically, this pyramid of success, we're not going to go through every single level. But at the bottom, just to give you a sense, like the base, like the sort of where you got to start are things like hard work, friendship, loyalty, enthusiasm, cooperation, right? And those like, you can see that Ted believes in that. That is the base. And only as we build, we can only build off that base to get to the very tippity top of the pyramid, which then 
is competitive greatness, where you can be at your best, when you can sort of enjoy challenges. And I think, right, Nate's staring at that at one point. Nate sees an inverted. Mm -hmm. He sees it differently. He doesn't want to lead with things like loyalty and cooperation. He wants to lead with competitive greatness first and foremost. So that's that's a real tension between those two. Yeah. And, and I would say he doesn't understand that you have to have those things to be able to get to competitive greatness. Like he doesn't like in his mind, if he just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, he'll get to competitive greatness and none of the other stuff matters. But but you can never get to the top of that pyramid without all the other stuff. It's a byproduct, it's an output. It is not something it is not something that you can achieve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell folks what or remind folks? We assume people know if they're listening to us, but do you want to remind folks what happens at the end of this episode with Nate? Oh, so we are getting set up um, for season three, everyone. And if you are with us, you've been waiting a year and a half to see what's going to happen in season three because the team wins the game and then they go into the locker room and the believe sign is ripped off the wall. How did that make you feel when you saw the believe sign ripped and left on Ted's desk? Um, rage, you know? Yeah, I was really hurt. I was hurt. I mean, it was like the ultimate insult. It, I think it was worse than it was worse than him giving the information to the newspaper. And, and, yeah. and from just like, you know, a viewer, not to, you know, again, it's really hard for me to take myself out of being involved in the show. Like I'm usually sitting in the locker room emotionally, <laughs> but it, it made me really excited to see like where this story is going to go because he's going to be such a good villain. And hopefully my fingers are crossed is that we see redemption from Nate at the end of season three. Oh, for sure. And it was really interesting because when um, they had that moment where Roy says, why don't we just ask the players? They're the ones on the field. They, they're they the ones doing the work. We should ask them. And they all put their hands in, you know, for, for the team one, two, three, Richmond on three. And Isaac instead doesn't go into the circle, but instead puts his hand on that believe sign. And then everyone goes and touches the believe sign. When you think about how I'm getting emotional, when you think about how that team reacted to Ted mm -hmm. in the first episodes of season one, where they thought he was a joke and he had all this hokiness and it's like, what is the deal here to at this moment, the most critical moment, are they going to get back promoted into the premier league that they chose the symbol of belief? I'm like crying. <laughs> And then to have Nate witness that and he rolled his eyes and then he came back in and ripped it. Like, yes, Nate is sad and broken and I feel bad for him. But I was like, how fucking dare you? Like, how fucking dare you? Anyway, the season three trailer <laughs> is so cute because it, what it is, is basic, if, if you haven't watched it yet, I'm sure you can find it on apple tv or youtube but it's essentially like all of the main characters rewriting mm -hmm. the belief sign again and so it gives you a little bit of a hint of what we can expect oh, like that so that, excited that sense of of team camaraderie that all those things at the base of that pyramid right cooperation enthusiasm friendship loyalty 
you're like, okay, that's still there. And um, so I'm very excited. <laughs> oh, it's going to be, Sorry, it's, oh, my God. oh, no, I love it all day long. Um, I think it's just going to be so cool because it's going to be them against the world and season three, you know, okay. I was thinking about this, the things I'm excited for in season three, which is a long list. We probably need to have a whole other episode, but it's going to be interesting if they use the plot line that Nate's tactics don't work on this team. Like, so if he's going to start trying to incorporate some of the things that he learned from Ted with this team, like, I, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but that would be really interesting oh, to see. Oh, oh, meaning he's going to try it his way. And when it doesn't work, he's going to have to try it. Yeah, his yeah, way. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I, yeah, that is definitely, that would be cool. I also wonder because Rupert, is the one that bought this team and then hired me and Rupert's a jerk. I wonder if, if actually like, um, and we know, we know Rupert doesn't care about anyone, but I wonder if somehow Nate is going to align himself to that mm -hmm. style more. And, um, I worry about that. Right. And then until he realizes like Rupert doesn't give a shit about him and is just using him and that he's just, disposable and you know yeah. dispensable and um in a way that he probably never quite felt with ted mm -hmm. it's like hindsight's 2020 i think nate's gonna have a moment we don't know how but where he's gonna look back and be like oh it wasn't that bad oh actually they did love me mm -hmm. over at richmond <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah we're so excited yeah we're so excited well Thank you to everyone. This this completes season two. Woo! Pop on leadership. Can can you believe it? I can't believe it. And you know what? Too, it's been a year since we started. A year? Yeah, it's totally been a year or more. It's been more. Or well, we started our first version oh. in January, and then we gave it to oh. Sandeep, and then he was like, "Y'all need to get your shit together." <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sunday. Thank you, Sunday. <laughs> he was like, y'all are funny and on to something and people want to listen to this, but you have to stop giggling to each other every five seconds. We were like, touche, touche, we could do that. So we got serious and then Pam got on board to start helping us, which would not have happened without yes. her. And yeah, so I think it's been a year since we started getting really serious and saying, we're gonna, you know, not be afraid of doing this and doing it well and see mm -hmm. if it'll actually be successful. So yeah. And it's been a fun year. It's been a fun year. It's been We just hit thirty five hundred downloads. I know. It's and it's going up every single day. So we're so we're so yeah. um we're so blessed and we're so, you know, grateful to everybody that's out there listening to us. For sure. So for season three, we may have already shared this a little bit, but it's going to be a little bit different because I think what makes our, I don't know, you could tell us if we're wrong, but what I think makes our recap and episode so great is we know a little bit about the journey that mm -hmm. these characters are going to go on and how sort of all the storylines cross. Um, and so going episode by episode in, you know, sort of uh, week by week as they come out might shift that our uh, our ability to go as deep as we'd like and so what we're gonna do is we're still gonna keep up with you all week by week as the episodes come out it's probably gonna be a little bit more through social media we're already on there but our recaps will be a little bit more reaction to the episodes week by week and then once season three is over we'll get back to recording um 
episode by episode as you're used to. However, don't fret. In the meantime, we're going to do some fun bonus episodes. We don't want to give away what they are. There are a couple <laughs> surprises. But um, so you'll see us on social media reacting to Ted Lasso season three. You'll get some bonus episodes and then we'll get back into doing episode by episode breakdown. Kara, I also want to thank you. It's a delight. I, I want to thank you. Our most most complicated best internet friendship ever. <laughs> of people that have never met in real life. <laughs> We've never met in real life. Yeah, it's very... I'm it's, like, can people believe it? It's very strange. I mean, anytime I, I tell that to people, they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. We talk every day. We have a podcast. We've had it for a year. <laughs> It's very strange. Like our kids feel like they know each other. Like it's very strange. We're aware. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. Yeah, love it. Couldn't couldn't love it more. Modern friendship. Modern friendship. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Have a great one, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez, who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.